Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to another edition of Football Theory. I am Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, joined by another Lifetime Longhorn fellow football theorist from inside Texas, but also you can catch his fantastic work over on Substack, America's War Game. It is the one and only Ian Boyd. What's going on, Ian? How you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. How you doing? How's the weather down there? Uh, actually, it's probably warmer than it should be in November. I think it's like the highest 80 some today. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little warmer than it needs to be, but uh, I think it's going to drop down pretty good. But uh, your neck of the woods, I'm sure it's already cold. <laughs> cold and wet. Cold and wet. Hey, man, I used to live in the Midwest and live in Jersey. I remember cold and wet, and it lasts a long time. Um, all right, let's get right to it because uh, we don't have a lot of time to do it, so let's uh, break it down. We'll talk about the Purple Kryptonite, obviously K-State, the Purple Kryptonite, Texas has conquered already this season, and the Purple Kryptonite to come, which is the TCU Horn Frogs on the road. We'll get to that. Uh, let's start with the, the, the K-State game. I mean, that was a, a game that probably should have been a blowout. Let's be honest. It was it was definitely trending toward blowout with the 17 point lead by Texas at one point and then a 20 point lead at Texas by one point. But uh, K-State showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit, uh, made that a football game in the fourth quarter. Let's start with the defense, Ian, because uh, I think obviously they won the game when they uh, game winning goal line stand. Let's start by the defense, defense of identity, if you will, which is the rush defense being able to take away the K-State running game. They held the K-State rushing attack to its lowest output since 2014. Uh, we all know K-State, man. It's hard to stop K-State from running the football. That's part of their not only identity on offense, part of their, their cultural identity as a program. Texas shut them out. Byron Murphy said the statement they wanted to make to the country was that you don't run the ball on Texas. And I'm starting to think he's right about that, at least from a traditional sense. Bama did a little bit, but if you're handing off the football, old school traditional running game, not a lot of teams have had success versus Texas. I don't know if any team has had success versus Texas in that regard. Yeah, it took uh, it took three turnovers on their own side of the field <laughs> for Kansas State to get in that game. Um, I mean, we've probably undersold this. Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat have been totally dominant. Alfred Collins has quietly been pretty dominant. If you'll watch him when he gets in the game at like defensive end, mm-hmm. he wrecks stuff, man. Yeah. He, he, a lot of times he does it in a way that doesn't show up in the box score, except for like, uh, it'll show up in like Jet Bush tackle for loss or uh, 1.8 yards per carry for the other team. Um, Sweat Murphy's like that as well. It should be showing up in holding calls, but it's not for poor mm. Murphy. But yeah, teams like they try to they try to run the ball on the edge to get away from Sweat and uh, Murphy, and they run into Collins, and it just is bad news. Vernon Broughton has quietly been very good this season. It's already been Broughton, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw Trill Carter make a play the other day. The defensive tackle room in general is just outstanding. Like both. Let me ask you- let me ask you this about the D tackle room. Let's stay right there for a second. Um, Cause you just got done kind of naming all these D tackles. They have. And then we think about last season where they had most of these guys, but also had Ojimo and Keandre Coburn. You've been watching Texas football for a long time and, and myself too. Not as long as some of these other uh, OGs out here. Is it safe to say in the modern era that we've never seen a D tackle room in Texas be this deep ever? In like the last, and it's two to three, two this two year span here, pretty much. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, I remember there was a lot of excitement about the unit when it, when they had like Chris Whaley and Desmond Jackson and I remember uh, this group. They got yeah. they got Malcolm Brown in there and uh, I don't remember who else, but that was but it was it was a pretty big group. I saw Ridgeway. Was was it Ridgeway? It might have been Ridgeway. Was he Ridgeway? was. He was an underclassman probably because he kind of exploded that year in 14 with Charlie. Yeah, yeah, I want to say it was him and Malcolm Brown, right? That was a nice duo. That was, was that the duo that we're thinking about? I yeah, it was so. them and Sed Reed. They played a lot of three down. Yeah, that was a nice duo. Hey man, I this duo okay. Let me let's go with this then. Which duo is better? Uh, Malcolm Brown, Hassan Ridgeway, or Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat? I'll take this one. Take this one. Yeah, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good compliment. That was a first round pick, and I think Ridgeway was what a third, fourth, mid round pick somewhere around there. Yeah, it'll probably yeah. be somewhere. A sweat at this point it seems like Sweat's going to be a first or second round pick, right? Uh, right now, Pro Football Focus got him as the highest graded D tackle in the country. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I think he's played himself into a first or second round pick, depending on what the D tackle board is, right? And you know that kind of stuff. But yeah. Xavier Mitchell better be paying attention, man, right? But hey, go do what this guy did next offseason. I like that. Right? Yeah, I'm with you. That's a great point, man. Bo, man, Bo Davis just continues. His rep is just <laughs> continues to grow. Between I miss Bo Davis and essentially. I was talking to uh, actually it's crazy. I was talking to Trill about this. I was at an event and Trill Carter and I were talking about this. That's crazy enough. And he said uh when he was making his decision about where to go. Uh, he was thinking about Texas, and he started talking about Texas and Ohio State's DN coach. Because um, he said Texas has the best D tackle coach in the country. And then we got in the conversation. He was like, well, Ohio State has the best DN coach in the country. Go look at all their DNs, you know, the, the, the Bosa's and the, you know, that kind of stuff, right? That, and I was like, oh, that's a good kind of thing about that. And that's the rep that I guess with, with prospects that Bo Davis has, that he can just throw out there like, oh, man, just so you know, I'm the best D tackle coach in the country. I've heard from Alabama people say like our D tackles have never been the same since Bo Davis was left or was kicked out or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I go, man, I honestly, I can kind of believe that. Uh, yeah. I was just kind of looking up the stats from, okay. So Malcolm Brown that year, man, Malcolm Brown had a good year in 2014. He had 13 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. Hassan Ridgeway was at 10 tackles for loss, six sacks. So that's not bad. It's pretty good. I mean, as a duo, but I'm with you. I think this duo might be a little bit better. I'm not sure that they have as many splash plays, but like you said, they probably should be getting more holding calls. I bet we couldn't go back and cat, you know, calculate that from that 2014 group. And let me also this also, also talk about deep tackles. We they're just also got two gapping more. What'd you say? They're also two gapping more, so they're not just like shooting up field like those guys were. That's a great point. I agree with you on that too. Um, yeah, NFL, NFL, NFL scouts probably like that a little bit more too. Uh, I'll say that, uh, the great, I'll just consider talking with D tackle before we move on. Greatest D tackle combo in the history of Texas football, at least in my opinion, no, it's, Casey, Ham- Casey yeah. Hampton and Sean Rogers, baby. I played with him. Oh man. That was a net. Just throwing this out there about Casey Hampton. Cause it's a stat that just needs to be pondered often by low hunt football fans led the team in tackles. I know two years in a row. Yeah, twice from the D tackle position, guys. 
I don't I can't explain it to you. He's just a badass. That's all that is, man. That's amazing. Uh, anyway, I know we'll spend too much time praising my man Casey, but though that that made my job a whole lot easier, man, as a young DB having two D tackles like that. Uh let's I mean, talk about how many Super Bowl rings did that guy have? Oh, Casey, he's definitely Ooh. got actually, man. I gotta think about when he was drafted by Pittsburgh. He's definitely got one. He's definitely got one. Um, I bet you Colomale yeah. would be praising him too if he were here. Yeah, no, he made the all. Uh, do I want to say he made like the the all century team for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Some crazy thing like, which is really like that. how the hell you do that when you got the steel curtain out there and stuff like that? It's unbelievable. Um, all right, let's move on. Talk about the Texas defense though. Uh, after they shut down, they I mean they this is how bad they shut down the K State running team. And K State was a top five running team in the country coming in. They were probably were the most arguably the most diverse running game or one of the most diverse running games in the country. Avery Johnson was a non-factor. They put him in like two drives and uh, didn't matter. I mean, he was moved. They did. They, they, they tried some uh, form of the quarterback run game. None of it worked. They abandoned the running game at one point in and started to throw the football. Um, and that's when they actually made some plays. Uh, there's an argument to be made. Hell, maybe they should have came in and broke Tennessee and more went past first early on. And they might have had a better chance against Texas. That's something they'll be facing uh, this week, obviously, at TCU. But give me your thoughts overall about the uh, the other aspects of the defense and how they play. We talked about the D-line, obviously, the D-tackles. We didn't give props to the D-ends, and we should. Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke were fantastic. Uh, but give me your thoughts about the other aspects of the defensive performance. Well, it's pretty good, I thought. And I went back and reviewed some of the uh, – some of the – you know, the drives where Kansas state was able to throw the ball around and get down the field. Yeah. And they just weren't really as bad as they seemed watching live. Like they had a few, like the fourth and six was pretty bad. I mean, it was just a bad call and a a bad play by Texas, Mm. but they had them in fourth and six. Like they would have, they almost won the game right there. Um, They, the drive just before that, they forced a long field goal that missed, I think. Um, they weren't awesome when it was pass heavy by Kansas state, but they weren't like terrible. Mm-hmm. It yeah. felt watching live. Like they were terrible. And like, <laughs> like Kansas state was just going to steal the game. And Texas was like completely impotent against it. And uh, I, I really think it was much more just the, um, how much they were on the field in the second half, the tempo, mm. sudden change possessions with the turnovers. Agreed. And also just the um, all of a sudden Kansas State is majoring in stuff after you spent all this time figuring out how to just completely put the clamps on their bread and butter. And then they're they're running around, throwing the ball around their quarterbacks, playing his butt off, dodging tacklers and finding throws down the field. So um, I definitely think Kansas State probably should have done that earlier in the game. It would have been yeah. better for them. Texas probably would have adjusted a little better as well. That's true. If Texas had gone into that game knowing what Kansas State was going to do and had prepped it a little more, I also think it would have been pretty ugly. Just to step a little bit on what we're going to talk about with TCU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. That's a good point. Um, I thought I, one thing you, you brought it up during our in-game live watch during the BYU game, and uh, I thought it was an interesting package, that Mo Blackwell package where they have Mo Blackwell, Anthony Hill, Jared Ford, I believe on the D-line, it was Byron Murphy, Sweat, Baron Sorrell, some combination of it. 
they used that package quite a bit on third and long early on in that game versus K-State. Um, and then, you know, there were times actually early on, I thought, you know, Anthony Hill, he, he was the guy obviously that made the start, but I thought uh, he would play, you know, more of the early downs. They had Benda in there, as you brought up too, uh, more. And what were your thoughts about, because they, they, they threw Benda in there. They're, what were your thoughts about how they're dividing up the reps on the linebacking core? You know, Anthony Hill, I, I, I assume would play more since he essentially has gotten the starting job now, but there still was a heavy rotation there. Yeah, I think they wanted Benda more because early on coming into the game, you figure if Kansas State gives him trouble, it's going to be the Texas blows some option assignments. Yeah. And uh, and then they just give up a few big plays with, uh, you know, Kansas State has some pretty fast running backs. And then obviously yeah. the – the skinny general, Avery Johnson, he was liable to break one. But you get David Benda in there, probably a little more like he doesn't hit as hard. He doesn't hit his fits as hard as Hill. He doesn't play through blocks as well, but he's less likely to just like get misaligned. Hmm. And so he got a lot of play early in the game. By the end, though, when they were like in the Blackwell package, like almost full time, yeah. uh, then it was just Hill. So I think I think they like Hill better in the passing game. It's really impressive how good he is already in pass coverage. Spread baby. I always say these guys, they grow up in seven on seven in the seven on seven world. They're more on the more attuned to passing concepts than kind of the old school off ball linebackers. And I think they all are kind of like if they if they play linebacker early on, if they play on defense early on. I mean, I'm not sure about Anthony Hill's scouting report, but he does seem like one of those guys who's comfortable in space. Well, like he's not. Some guys look uncomfortable in space. He does not. And, and, and was it Ryan? Yeah, didn't Ryan? They usually just kept him in the box. They didn't want him in space. Yeah. And he's, but he's uh, picked it up pretty well. So I'm, really, I'm sure he was doing seven on seven, like you said. Yeah. yeah. No, no, he, he's he's fast, so that's why he's probably comfortable in space because he knows he can make up ground. Some guys, they they all that space out there, and they freak out because they're like, man, I can't close that ground. He closed ground. He, he closes the ground pretty quickly. Um, so give me your thoughts. Yeah. Cause I, I'm with you about the rotation, but I like that Blackwell package. It might be something coming up in this TCU game. You might see that, that Blackwell package a little bit more. Um, but give me your thoughts about the defensive ends. Let's talk about the edges, um, before I want to talk about that last play and then we can move on to the offensive performance. Uh, but the edges, I thought they played really well. Ethan Burke and Baron Sorrell. I thought those guys made plays early on. I think three sacks between them. Um, Ethan Burke, I didn't know he was coming off of a minor surgery as well. Um, Bobby uh, broke that to us as well. So he's a he's a tough mofo. Ethan Burke is. They uh, start calling him the mechanic because he's blue collar. And comes to work. Um, do you think that edges are now taking a step where they can now start applying pressure and closing and you know and essentially getting home more often, uh, like they did versus K State? Yeah, I mean you hope so because there's going to be a lot of opportunities these next few weeks. Damn right. But uh, Burke is now – he's played in eight games, so he only missed one game with that surgery. That's crazy. That's crazy. MCL was the deal. Okay. So I'm sure that it's, like, super sore, and he's just playing through it anyway. Um, so he's got five sacks on the year, which is the team lead. Sorrell's got four. Hill's got three. And then Murphy with two and a half is next. Uh hmm. I kind of shocked. I wonder, how many does Sweat have? 
Just one. Wow. Yeah. No. So he's just always in the backfield. That's why you're thinking that. You yeah. just all you, you just see him in the backfield constantly. I would love to see his quarterback hits and quarterback like pressures from him because he is constantly just in the backfield all the time. Yeah, man. That guy's a he's a home wrecker. <laughs> a game wrecker. I think Sorrell is maybe the most consistent. Um, Burke sacks have come in bunches. I think he had like two against a single team earlier in the year, I think. And then, yeah, two, right. and then yeah. two in this game, but he's probably the best pure pass rusher on the edge. I think the other one you would say is Hill. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if Hill is the best, uh, pure pass rusher or if he's just fast or really explosive and powerful yeah. freakish off the edge yeah i'm gonna be doing that yeah. yeah and burke i don't even know if he has pass rushing moves yet he's just he just understands leverage really well he yeah, has, yeah he, good he has good hip bend and yeah. he plays with great vision for and for a guy with t- being as tall as he is his pad level is really good usually a guy that tall has bad pad level, not him. He's used to playing upright. So I'm with you. That's a great point. All right, let's talk about the last uh, play, the game-winning goal line stand for Texas. Two things, first of all, in overtime uh, for Texas. Two things. First of all, they finally, and I don't know if PK was saving it or not, he finally in overtime in 40 personnel, which when you got just four defensive backs out there, they put Jade Bear in that corner. They put him back. Good job, PK. It was brilliant. He didn't take him off the field, even though earlier in that game, they took him off the field multiple times when they went 40 personnel. They took him off the field, and I was upset. I think I brought it up on the post-game, in-game live watch. But in, in, in the end, when it mattered most, the game-winning goal line stand for Texas, he did not take Jaday Barron off the field. I don't know who told him or why, uh, why he adjusted. It's a brilliant adjustment by PK. Um, I don't know if it mattered as much, but, hey, man, you never want it. You, in a crucial, critical moment, you want your best players on the field. He had Jaday Barron out there. Um, so what are your thoughts about the goal line stand, especially the last play for Texas? First of all, were you shocked that Chris Kleiman went for it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I told I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm about to block out. <laughs> and she's like, you really don't show stress outwardly very much. I just look like I do now, I think. But, um, yeah, inside, I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, this game is wild wow. yeah as soon as they went to overtime you had to figure like texas is screwed like they're gonna get oh, in i was saying they got in a red zone off with the best red zone team in the big 12 so i did not understand climbing going for it there like i've i've had some like conversations debates with people on the board about it where people raised some ideas i tried my best to come up with reasons i just don't know what climbing was thinking um, like you take the field goal there as long as if you botch it, that's a terrible way to lose, but uh, just fourth and four, you know, like that was tough. Um, yeah. And then they, obviously they thought that Texas was going to be in man coverage again and they had a play to beat man. And uh, Jade Barron was saying that Ryan Watts showed man coverage with his alignment yeah. to encourage it. Mm-hmm. And they were playing like a. They're playing like we call it tango. One guy played outside cut. One guy played the inside cut. Or it was like a cover two, I think too. Yeah, it's just it like, like a, you zone it basically. Yeah. So anyway, he Watts picks up 
uh, the, the tight end immediately. He knew that was coming. And Will Howard looks over there and is like, oh, no. Oh, oh ish. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the pass rush did what – if this team, when they can force a quarterback past their first read, that pass rush is going to be a problem. Yep, I like that. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, and that honestly kind of that we'll talk about that. We talk about TCU coming up here in a second. All right, let's flip to the offensive side of the ball. Malik Murphy's second start. Um, it, it started out really nice. Started out with a lot of wild plays, but I always say with young guys, you get the wild plays, you get the what the plays. Uh, started out with the wild plays, had some nice deep throws. Okay, first of all, what were your thoughts about K State's game playing defensively? We know they play a lot of man. They played some aggressive man against uh, Texas, leaving their guys out on an island. And Texas took advantage of it early and often. Uh, what do you think about the game plan for K-State? I I didn't love it. I kind of get it because, I mean, Texas ran for 200 yards, right? Oh, yeah. They ran even, even with Kansas State trying to load the box a little bit. So, I mean, you don't want Texas to just wax you for 300, 400 rushing yards and you never have a chance and you never have the ball. But man, they just yeah. I I just they did not really play into their red zone defensive strength. I feel like that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and Texas Texas weakness, which is red zone offense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although <clears throat> I think even late in the game, they they were better at it, and they let they let Malik burn them a little bit, throwing RPOs underneath and running the ball. And then they uh, tightened up again in the red zone to force that final field goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they got closer to what that game plan should have been by the end, but they had a lot of trouble early just with like, they just could not run with Mitchell and worthy. So they were, I think they, they gave worthy more of their attention and then they could not run with Mitchell. Yeah. I don't know. There's only so much you can do as a defense, and you're just totally outmatched everywhere. Um, really, it just came down to like Malik came out. He hit shots early that they had designed, that they had drawn up for him and practiced. They're like, "We're going to do this. We're going to get this, and then you're going to do this." Practice, boom, we got it. And then as the game went on, and they kind of ran out of tricks in the bag, and Kansas State, yeah, got got some pressure here and there. Mm-hmm. Got guys where Malik didn't expect them to be. You could tell he just got rattled. Yeah. And it was like, <clears throat> what'd you think? Yeah, our turnovers are the great equalizer. There's no doubt. And it, it definitely messed with his head. And what I don't like is the sequence that happened after the turnover, right? A young quarterback turnover is growing pains. It was a bad throw and it was a bad read by him. Um, and what you, you have the receiver that fell down on the play or something like that too. Either way, it was it, it ended up being bad. So put it behind you. The next drive for Texas, if I'm not mistaken, is the Savion Red cat failed attempt. I think that was going to be a throw, you know. But now we can get to breaking down the play if you want. But my point is, they, if I'm not mistaken, they went down the field in like five plays, running the football on every down because Sark, I think, wanted to let you know the the get the offense back in a rhythm. Um, get them back on schedule. And I think he wanted to let his young quarterback just, you know, got a chance to recalibrate, kind of reboot everything. And they went down the field, boom, right down and got into the red zone, got on the goal line, uh, running, you know, running the football. 
and then they had the miscue with the Sabian Red Cat. Nothing wrong with that. I used to actually supported the call. I thought it was the right call. It just didn't work out for Sark. And the red zone rolls continue. But the next drive after that, so essentially you got two turnovers in a row. Turnover, throwing the pick, take a giveaway, and then you got a turnover on downs. And then you go the next drive. This is the one prior to the punt block, if I'm not mistaken. Sark throws the ball. They throw the ball every down, three and out. And my problem with that series is because I believe they get the ball with a little under three minutes left in the, in the first half. Sark at that time is thinking like a coordinator and not a head coach because he's on, he's in attack mode. He's upset about the turnover on downs in the red zone. Right? So he's a little bit upset about that. He's also vicariously coaching through his quarterback thinking, I got to give my young quarterback some confidence. I, I got to get him back in a rhythm. I got to get him some easy completions. I got to get him back on track too. I don't want his confidence waning. I'm looking at him on the sideline and he's got that, those, those big eyes. Right. Um, and he's, so he, he's thinking like a coordinator and he's thinking attack mode. I got to go down in, in two and a half minutes. I'm gonna go down and score. But what he's not thinking is like a head coach that his defense actually is really bad in two minute defense. Right. They, they're bad all season long in that situation. He's not thinking about, Hey, I don't want them to get the ball back period. That's what I won't have. So maybe I can force them to use some timeouts and run the ball a little bit. We're averaging almost eight yards a carry. Might as well run it a little bit, you know, waste some time off the clock. He's not thinking like that. That's that's management mode. He was in attack mode. And I think that's the difference between him being at times the play caller, Sark, and the head coach. So sometimes he's got to switch. And I need him to go to management mode. And he should have meant management mode there. And he didn't. He went attack and it blew up in his face. Because they had they had the punt block because he went three and out, didn't waste any time off the clock, gave K-State plenty of time. Two-minute defense for Texas bad. They went down, they score 17-7 before half, and they're getting the ball back, which he knows. All these things, he's not computing because he's not thinking like a head coach. He's thinking like at the time, like a play caller. And that's my only gripe or critique of what happened when the first half of mistakes. And even the turnover on downs and the red cat, I'm fine with all that. What I'm not fine with is Sark not managing the game correctly at the end of the first half. So you wanted Steven and not Sark. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. <laughs> no, that, no, that's that's not what I want. No, that's a, that's good, though. You're right. Yeah. I would argue Steven is who kind of showed up there. I need I need just I just need a couple of run plays there. If he doesn't go, listen, and that was the play, by the way. The first down is the deep. I, I can't get mad at that because that is the deep ball. And they're in man, they're in press man coverage on Xavier Worthy on first down. It might have been an automatic check. And Malik was he was it was short on the throw, and it should have been a PI and it wasn't. Didn't work out, but my point is the three and out, it just killed Texas momentum. It did. They also, the, the, um, Sark was saying like, uh, the punt on the punt block, he was like, one of our players thought they heard an audible to some sort of protection that we don't even have. Because, <laughs> um, because like, because like you're watching it and it's like, how did that happen? This, yeah. This came right up the middle and like unblocked. It's like, yeah. what? It was a complete total breakdown. I don't know what happened there. That might have been that. That makes sense. I mean, that's what happened is apparently somebody was like recalling their high school uh, <laughs> rugby check protection or something, right? <laughs> that is hilarious. I need I need to get that sound. That is fantastic. Was that the post game? That is great. I believe oh, that Monday. So. Okay. Yeah, it was the post game. I haven't listened to Monday. Oh man, so, I'm gonna uh, have to hit up great yeah, ways trying to find that. I always listen to that like on the on the way to church. I'll put that in um, on my drive. But um, so I I hear you. They were a little bit unfortunate because like it was bad luck. If they if they even get that pi, they're in better shape. If they hit the throw, even better. Yeah, and that punt probably buries Kansas State if they had blocked if they had protected it at the level that they have every other punt all That's season true. long. Yeah. But but I hear you. Like uh, I thought you were about to go in. I should have known better. I thought you were about to go in on Sark putting Malik in empty with like fifty seconds before the half. Yeah, that was, that's a good. <laughs> he well, was. I know a, you're never gonna to go against empty. You're always you're always in favor. <laughs> uh, honestly, I thought I I thought that's how I was like. Oh, he's just gonna try to get back to like. No, I think Sark was upset with himself for. The red zones, Savion red cap that didn't work out, and also the drive that they end up having the punt block. And he likes to take his aggression out on his play calling sometimes, or at least therapeutic. It's not a therapeutic measure for him. Um, but no, I mean that's my only that's my only and you're right, that was a lot of bad luck for them, but that's my only criticism. And you're right, that was Sark being aggressive. And I always say this: it's the scorpion and the frog. It's in Sark's nature to be aggressive, whether it be not taking the easy points for three points and going for it on fourth down, the red zone, whatever it is. He's aggressive, and he's been there way since he got he's he got here. So I really can't ask him to change his stripes. That's his nature. That is who he is. The scorpion and the frog. You're talking about that meme where the frog's like swimming the scorpion across the river or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. And at the end of it, it's like uh, the old fable. He's they're on the they're on the edge of the shore of a I think a, a river or something. The the scorpion asked the frog, hey, man, can you take me across the river? Frog says to the scorpion, no, I'm not going to do that. You're a scorpion. You're going to sting me. And the scorpion says, that's stupid. If I sting you, 
uh, we're both going to die. Why would I do that? Frog says, that's a great valid point. Okay, so hop on, jumped on his back. They get to the middle of the river and the scorpion stings the frog and they sink to the bottom of the pond. They die, all right? Uh, but before they die, this, the frog says to the scorpion, why the hell did you sting me? And this, the scorpion says, it's in my nature. It's, what I, it's in my nature, man. That's who I am. That's Steve Sarkeesian. He's a scorpion. It's in his nature. That's why he did it. Uh, all right, let's get to some Texas TCU discussion before we get out of here and preview this. Can I tell you what freaks me out about this matchup a little bit? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of different things, but if you're talking about the just the overall know, complexion of TCU, they're a pass-first team. Um, they have twitchy, speedy athletes on the outside. They have twitchy guys on the outside. Kind of reminiscent of what U of H was able to present to Texas. Those twitchy athletes on the outside that if in space, they can give you problems. They're pass first, like Oklahoma, like U of H, pass first teams. Even when K-State started throwing the football and abandoning the run, uh, Texas has a little bit, some issues, right? They just have issues stopping them. They can bow their back in the red zone. Texas is a really good red zone defense, but they have issues stopping those teams from moving the football. Um, and maybe that changes if they can apply some pressure. They run the beer and shoot. The beer and shoot is the offense that same offense Oklahoma runs. Um, Jeff Levy, who is, you know, related to Kendall Browse, who's the offensive coordinator for TCU. I don't know if they share notes, but something tells me, hey, they might share some notes on how to beat Texas. It's a family affair and the Browse family to beat Texas. Uh, that worries me a little bit. And Josh Hoover, who is the quarterback for them, he's a young buck. He can sling it a little bit. He, 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 he's young, so he has to make some bad decisions with the football, but he, he's got no problem slanging the football. And that those the combination of those things with, you know, Sonny Dykes, who's undefeated versus Texas. Trap game on the road. Texas could have a backup quarterback in there. I don't know. A lot of reasons to be concerned, or maybe I'm just paranoid. Really, the only one of those that super worries me is if Malik has to play. Because uh, the turnovers, I think, is really the only way that this game is really, you know, I don't think I can see TCU getting there unless they get turnovers or they otherwise shut down the Texas offense. Because I just don't, I don't think they can score enough. So, like, everything you said is true, yet uh, Gabriel is more dangerous than Josh Hoover. Yep, because he's running. And Donovan Smith is better than Josh Hoover, in my opinion. I agree. And the Houston receivers are better than the TCU receivers, I think. Except more, more good ones. The TCU, they have like it seems like they've thrown like seven or eight guys a lot. They do, they throw a lot of different guys. Yeah. They have John Paul Richardson's kind of their main guy. He's a slot. He's the guy that I think Texas needs to worry about him and Jared Wiley, the former Longhorn. Yeah, right in. Yeah, he's having a good year. Those two guys running around in the middle of the field on Texas's linebackers on like crossing routes and stuff. That that I think is is trouble. Yeah, but I still, even if they were to do like the Kansas State act, I don't think they score that many points doing that, unless they get you know short fields. And uh, they're able to play like against a Texas team that isn't pulling away and like just running them over. Yeah, I agree. They 
they want to they, they would be comfortable in the shootout just because i mean they're a pass first offense I, and i actually thought this was shocking and you're right about the way they spread the football around they got five different receivers with at least 19 receptions so they they spread around to a lot of different guys uh jp richardson he's our leading guy as you mentioned um, but they have 116 pass plays of at least 10 yards, 10 yards or more. That is fourth most. Uh, sorry, I take that back. That is, yeah, that is third most in the FBS, actually. Third most in the FBS. Washington's number one, USC's two, and Georgia's four, and Oregon's five. Isn't that a surprising? And that's in pass attempts. That's it. No, in, in, in ten plus yard pass plays. Oh, wow! Isn't that, crazy? Isn't that wild? They got one hundred and sixteen of them. Um, they're actually, if you look at ten plus yard plays, period, not just pass plays, one hundred and sixty-five, fourth most in the country, behind USC, Washington, and Oregon, and ahead this, of Georgia. This is TCU. You're talking about. <laughs> It's not saying it. They throw. They can. They they make some plays. You know what their big issue is? The same thing that happened to Texas in the K State game. Texas should have blown out K State. We know that. You watch that damn game. You're going. Why is this game close? Because of turnovers. They had three straight drives where they turned over the football. A giveaway. Uh, a, a punt block. And they ended up with that turnover on downs. So the game ends up close. That's the great equalizer. Why is TCU bad? They're last in the Big Twelve in turnover margin. Last. Dead ass last in turnover margin, and they got 15 giveaways on the year. 15 of them in their wins, they got in their wins, they got eight takeaways and six turnovers. In their losses, they only got one takeaway and they got nine turnovers in their losses. They give away the football a lot. What is their um, do you know their red zone rate on touchdowns? Let's see if I can find it real quick. I can find it for you. Um, I was just doing TCU research. I'm sure I can find it. But that that deep dive, that's where I found out. I was like, I am shocked that TCU is that explosive. But it makes sense because they're top 20 in the country in pass offense. They can throw the football. They just keep giving away the football. They give away the football as much as any team in the Big 12. And literally, that's their they're 19 for 36 on touchdowns in the red zone. Wow. Okay. So, in Texas is uh, what was Texas again? Oh, in touchdown percentage? I can yeah. Play. 19 for 36 in Texas is uh, this touchdown is way at the bottom. I got 17, 17 for 37. Yep. So they're they're similarly bad at finishing drives with touchdowns too. That's a great point. And the, see, and they got turnovers too. The turnovers and, and the turnovers. And you know what else? They um their offensive line is big people, big humans like Texas. Mm-hmm. And so they're they can be good at like play action and getting in your way when they're dialing up passing plays or yeah. just trying to hold you in place while they run the ball in space. But when they get in the red zone, those big or, or in short yardage, they don't move people on the line. It's a great point. I think, uh, it shocked me too. And I was like, what the? He's like, man, it don't make no damn sense. So just <laughs> they, slow and fast. If they, if they start moving the ball, throwing the ball, don't freak out. 
like Ian says, wait to the red zone. That's usually where they have mis- they make mistakes. And if like this, if they're not turning over the football in, Texas may be in for a fight. That's usually how they just they usually just give away a game. They give it away with a couple of turnovers in the game, and then they're just not good enough to be able to withstand making those types of blunders. Texas actually is good enough, as we've seen. Texas is good enough to make to have three, four turnovers and make crucial mistakes in critical moments and still win the game. That's part of how, you know, the, the, the roster depth and, and talent for Texas overall. So watch that. Watch 10-plus yard plays uh, via the pass. So they're a TCU is a Malik Murphy, Texas. <laughs> Break right? that down. Break it down. They can hit the big plays. They can put up a lot of yards. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be bad in the red zone, and they're going to turn it over too much. Damn. That's good. That's I mean, good. That, That's no, good. That, that's kind of harsh on Malik Murphy. Well, to, he's only a second start. I think that his future is is pretty bright. I'm just saying, you know. I, I mean, you're speaking the truth. Okay, let me ask you this, since because we're on this subject and we're getting ready to, you know, obviously wrap it up and we finish um, talking TCU here. Would you go with a 70% Quinn or a fully healthy Malik? Quinn. 70% Quinn. Matthew, give me uh, give me exhibit one. So uh, last year, towards the end of the game, Texas fans will remember the Longhorns started spreading TCU out instead of trying to get big and hammer them or throw over the top and failing for like three quarters. Yeah. Texas started spreading them out. They started hitting some RPOs, kind of like this one. And Sark showed that he knew how to manipulate the TCU defense. So, like, they'll always put the end, the direction the running back is running in the shotgun. The end that the running back is running towards when he gets the ball will always be on the edge to set the edge. But then the other end will be in a cutback lane. So he'll be, like, in a B-gap. And so to defend the backside of the play, the off-ball player is always in conflict if you run an RPO with the red formation. I got you. So like the, in this in this diagram, the Sam linebacker, it's like, hey, do I outnumber the bubble screen or do I outnumber the run and like enclose that last cutback lane? Um, and Texas was chewing him up between the 20s with stuff like this. Yeah. But I a lot of it was predetermined. Like you could tell that Quinn wasn't even really reading it. He just was told if you're going to hand off, or you're going to throw. And uh, when they got into the red zone, they couldn't do anything. Tails old as time, right? <laughs> I think, and TCU is a lot weaker this year. They lost two amazing NFL players up front in D. Winters and Dylan Horton. Yeah. So I think Sark knows how to attack this defense. I think he know. I think they can bully them up front. I think they can shred them with RPOs. Um, Malik could actually do a lot of that. So I don't think Texas is doomed if Malik plays. But I think you you want to go into this game and plan on winning with run game and just careful decision making at quarterback and defense. And Indeed. so I would not be afraid to play limited Quinn. Um, yeah, because your formula is going to be different. Is what you're saying. You're going to pack defense if you're going complementary football with seventy percent Quinn. You want to make sure he's protected, which means running the football. Um, which means we want our defense basically to lead the way here. And do you think Sark is going to be – he's going to run to pass? Because he's a pass-to-run guy. Even with Malik in there, I think he started out 
first yeah. 21 plays was 13 passes, eight runs. He's a pass-to-run guy. Is this a game that he breaks that that trend and breaks that tendency? Well, he may do that again just so that he can run the rest of the game. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, he still might come out and have Quinn throw like a shot and have him throw like, you know, a bunch of quick stuff just so that TCU doesn't start to get it in their heads that they can load the box. But, uh, yeah, I, I would rather play Quinn. I don't want to play Malik Murphy on the road against a pretty good secondary. It's one of my favorites. I love their secondary. I love Josh Newton. I love Bud Clark. Stay away from those guys, by the way. If you're going to throw at somebody, throw at Avery Helm is probably your guy you're going to throw at here. He's or, probably uh, the secondary that I've seen. Or Mark Perry. Okay. Who's their big safety. He's a good player. But he's like 220 pounds. Like his his knack is to uh, get downhill and stuff people. It's not to turn and run with, you know, Xavier Worthy. So yeah, no. Sark always picks somebody usually on the other team to pick on. Hell, last week it was Jacob Parrish. Now he did get some picks. He did make some plays, but um, he gave up some big plays too. So I think yeah, one of those guys who Sark's gonna pick on. Stay away from Josh Newton. Stay away from Bud Clark. Those guys are NFL players uh, and some of the best players in the country in the secondary. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, the uh, TCU. I'm um, talking about that that TCU uh, defense uh, really quickly. You just kind of brought it up. Any other concerns? They are, I think, second in the Big 12 tied for it in sacks. Um, any concerns about pressure packages from them? Or you just, if you're Sark, you want to stay away from it altogether by just running the football and keeping them on their heels? I'm, I'm curious to see the breakdowns of when those pressures came. I have a suspicion that... Uh, Game that out of reach thing. That they that they've been feasting on some uh, weaker teams because I don't know okay. that I I don't think I believe in their pass rush, but All I would right. run the I would run the ball because I don't believe in their defensive line more than my my doubt of their defensive line is greater than my doubt of their pass defense, yeah. but I do think their pass defense like if Quinn is 95 percent and you oh, got yeah. the matchups you want, I think they could go out and shred them in the passing game. I really do, but uh, they probably don't need to. So, yeah, I agree. Not yeah, they, yeah. Well, we know Sark. We know Sark wants to do, but this is a game about what you need to do. We know what he wants to do, but what do you need to do with a banged up Quinn and a backup quarterback? What you need to do is probably just run the football down the throat, shorten the game, and kind of use your advantage, which is the line of scrimmage. Um, all right, any other thoughts in before we close out another edition of Football Theory? I uh, I think that's it. This is. Uh, it's going to be four flyover defenses in a row. Houston, as it turned out, right? Yeah. Kansas State, TCU, Iowa State. They're all different. Kansas State was really small. Kansas State had like one guy on the field that was heavier than 255 pounds, mm-hmm. which is pretty wild. That's crazy. Uh, they're really tough. You wouldn't guess that from watching them, but that it's the truth. TCU is bigger they're maybe a little better in the secondary. They're bigger up front, but they're not as tough. They're not as disciplined and they're not as good. And they're not really as explosive with no one in the front six is very, they don't have any Anthony Hills. Yeah. Up guys in the front six right now. So, uh, which one's the best? Out of that? Who, who, who's the best like style of the three high in your opinion out of that group? Which one do you prefer? Uh, 
Well, I really like <laughs> Kansas State because they're so smart with it. Yeah. Iowa State is like, you know, the OGs, right? Yeah. They, I, I, yeah, I like I was I kind of like Jim Knowles back in the day. His his three high was nasty at Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a nasty one. I don't know. I don't know. And then Texas is liable to get another one in the Big 12 championship game. If they if make it the Big 12 championship game, it is almost a complete lock that it'll be Oklahoma State. Because apparently Oklahoma State just needs to win out, which is uh, uh, Central Florida, Houston, BYU. Mm-hmm. They could do that. Yep. If they only win two out of three, then so long as Iowa State loses one of their last three games. Which they will. Because they play Texas and Texas, Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that can't be right. They already played Oklahoma. Well, whatever. They play, they play good teams. Um, Oklahoma State is almost a lock. Like, probably their ticket is punched more so than Texas is at this point. Yeah, Texas needs to exercise the demons on their farewell tour in the Big 12. And Mike Gundy has definitely been a demon to Texas fans. So I think it's appropriate that you got, you don't get to see Oklahoma, but you get to see Gundy. And I agree with you, Ian. If it's Gundy, he's going to break tendency like a mofo, and you're definitely going to see that three high because Gundy does his homework, man. Gundy don't play. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks, Ian. Once again, another great edition of Football Theory. Thanks for the time, brother. You bet. All right, folks, join us uh, next week. We'll be talking about, hopefully, another win for Texas football here on Football Theory on On Texas Football. Hook them.